Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church Online. You know, it's not every Sunday morning that a pastor gets up in front of you and begins with uh, basically an overview of their criminal background, but um, today's that Sunday. So here we go. Uh, For me, my trouble in running with the law started in junior high. It was in eighth grade. And there were a group of us, um, we we had just finished a church event, and it was late. It went late into the evening. And so uh, we all got together and ended up spending the night at a friend's house. And as things do, when you get all hopped up on Mountain Dew and Pop Rocks, you have brilliant ideas. So we're wired. So the first idea is this. We go and we teepee somebody's house. And it was more, yeah, it was probably like, it was more likely a girl that we had a crush on. We thought she was cute. And nothing says, I love you. We should hang out and date like teepeeing their house. So that's what we did. We wrapped that up, came back to the house where we were all supposed to sleep and spend the night. And again, we're wired. So what do you do when you're wired? Well, we already TP'd somebody's house. So the next logical thing, let's go to the skate park. So we all got our skateboards and our small group leader who was driving us around, uh, we all hop into his minivan and we cruise down to Claremont Skate Park. And uh, here's what you need to know. It's not a massive skate park, but it's got a couple things. It's got a handful of ramps, a fun box, and a couple bowls, and there's a little pool that you can skate in. And so we're there. It's one o'clock in the morning. And you have to understand, it's pitch black except for the skate park because there, there's no gates. And they have these football stadium lights that are just Boom, they're just beaming right on the skate park. It is beckoning us junior high boys to be there at 1 o'clock in the morning. No signs, no nothing. So we're in the skate park, and we're having a blast. And about 10 minutes in, my buddy Joe yells, 5-0, 5-0, run, which basically means the cops are coming. You better hide. So we're grabbing skateboards. I've got friends that are throwing theirs in the bushes. We're hitting the deck, hiding behind ramps and fun boxes and behind signs. And we're sitting there like, here's the sign. And we're just kind of hiding behind it. And the cops roll in. And you know, have you ever been pulled over, right? And they shine the light? Well, you probably haven't. I'm from California. This is a weekly occurrence for me. You get pulled over and they shine those super bright lights into your mirrors and you can't see anything. So they pull in and those are the lights they they shine on us but it's they're hitting everything every ramp every fun box every bowl everything and we're we're sitting here going okay we're going to outsmart the cops so we just stay frozen make like a tree and we don't move and we think well if we don't move they won't see us and so we're it, i mean it is it is quiet as can be and we're like i think it's working i think it's working and then the cops go over their last speaker, they go, uh, we can hear you and we can see you. You better not run or it'll get worse. And in a moment of clarity, our small group leader goes, uh, guys, we should probably walk and make our way towards the cops. And we go, okay, and we grab our stuff. So we got busted for trespassing because apparently there were signs that we didn't see and um, staying out past curfew. So let me fast forward the story. Um, we're meeting the judge. And we're in the room, right? And so uh, the the judge, it's one o'clock. The judge hasn't had his lunch break. And here's how I know. Because he walks in, he's holding a plate. And he sets down the plate. And on the plate is a burrito. And it's not just any burrito. This is the Big Ed burrito. 
from the green burrito, if you're familiar with that food joint. It's amazing. The Ed Burrito is a burrito of all burritos. It is massive. It's got every type of meat in there, every type of cheese, the sauce, the guacamole, the sour cream. I mean, everything. This thing is loaded. My man walks in. He sets it down on the table. He's got the plastic takeout fork in the burrito and hasn't eaten anything. And he walks over and he sits down. And he looks at his his report and he goes, okay, trespassing, okay, breaking curfew. We're going to get you with the fine and you have 40 hours of community service you have to do. That's it. And that there was no conversation. There was no like, hey, we're a bunch of church kids and the worst thing we do is stay out late and go to skate parks. We're not vandalizing. We're not doing anything like that. There was none of that stuff. We couldn't even try and plead and get a different a reduction in the sentencing. There was nothing we could do. And so my man was just focused on his lunch and he was ready to go in. And so, boom, we get kicked out and I've got 40 hours of community service and I have a fine that I have to pay and I don't have money to pay the fine, which means I have to hit up my dad. My dad's a cop. That didn't go over very well. So I learned at a very young age that um, the, the people that serve, they do it because they're punished. See, serving is a punishment. It's not a privilege or a joy. And so I I think about it, right? All the bad people, they get in trouble, right? The bad guys get in trouble and they have to go and serve the good guys. And the whole idea in our society is this, that if we punish you by making you do good things for people, then you'll choose not to do bad things and you'll choose to do good things. At least I, I think that's what the thought process is. But at a very young age in junior high, I realized that, man, serving people is a punishment. This is a chore. This is not something fun or joyful or good to do. Only the bad people get to do this. Now, remember, I'm in junior high. And for the first time in my life, I'm starting to take my relationship with Jesus seriously. I'm opening up the scriptures. I'm going to church. I'm listening to the teachers and the preachers. And I'm trying to figure this thing out. And Jesus, right, like our leader, Jesus, he shows up on the scene and he says, hey, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, this doesn't make sense. I keep reading and he's talking about if you want to be great, you have to become the least of these. Oh, I know what that means, right? If you want to be first, you have to be last. That means you got to serve people. You have to help people. And I'm in junior high, and I'm a selfish junior high. And I'm trying to reconcile all this stuff in my brain of going, well, Jesus wants me to serve, but only bad people serve. That means I'm a horrible person. Does Jesus think I'm a horrible person? I'm trying to figure out all this stuff in my brain. And I'm still drawing the conclusions that only that service is a punishment, and bad people have to do it, and serving is a chore. Now, I'd like to think over the years I've grown up, I've matured a little bit, my understanding of Jesus and the scriptures has improved over the years. Uh, and I think it has, but I, I got to be honest, and, and maybe you're in this boat as well. Quite often, I feel like when I'm trying to serve somebody, it, it feels like a chore, like I even even serving my wife, my family or my kids, there are moments where I'm like, oh, man, like I, ugh, I have to go and buy flowers for my wife. Now, it, I love her. Don't don't hear that. But it, there's an inconvenience for me to drive out and get flowers to go and show her that I love her or simple things of like cleaning the room, putting away dishes. There are these things where we're trying to go and, and show people that we care for them, that we love them. And sometimes it feels like a chore and it shouldn't. It definitely doesn't feel like a privilege. So I want us to ask this question right here. How do we make serving people feel like a privilege and not a chore? 
because we all love people and we all want to serve people. But if we're honest, there's just a part inside of us that ma- that makes us go, man, I'd rather be doing something else than than serving. And so I want you to open up your scriptures because uh, the Bible is going to have a lot to say about this. And if you've got one, open up to the book of Luke. It'll be Luke chapter 10 and we'll pick it up in verse 25. It'll be Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it. Um, There's even a law. It's the Good Samaritan law in our government. This is a big story. Everyone has heard this story for the most part. And um, you've probably heard it multiple times. And here's the, the tendency. When you hear something over and over and over again, you tend to tune it out. You're like, I know that, I've heard that, I've seen this before, I get it. I know what we're supposed to do. And I, I want to challenge all of us, let's come at this story like we've never heard it before. Imagine you're walking with Jesus and you walk onto this scene and Jesus opens his mouth and he's going to share a parable. He's going to tell us a story and we're all going to learn from it. So try your very best. I know it's hard, but try your very best to enter into like the very first time. This is all new to you. You're just a spectator on the outside watching and listening in. So here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So the guy asked Jesus a question and Jesus answers the question with a question. He turns it back. He says, you tell me. Here's how he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great summary. If you were to grab the scriptures and you're like, what does it mean to follow Jesus, to put your faith, hope, and trust in God? It simply means this. It means you love him with all you got. You love God with everything that you have, and you love your neighbor. That, that's what we do. That's what followers of Jesus do. We love God, and we love neighbor. That is what we do. And here we go. Verse 28. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Now, this is key. Do this, and you will live. And at first glance, I read it and I thought, okay, let's just move on to another verse. But I, I started studying this thing and Jesus is, is, is hinting at something here. What he's saying to the expert in the law is like, if you do these things, see, you already know. But if you do these things, you'll live. You'll have eternal life. And Jesus is inferring that the expert in the law is not doing these things. Now, any self-respecting Jew and clearly an expert in the law is going to sit back and, and, and breathe for a hot second and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I am definitely loving God. For sure I am doing that, right? Because imagine, you're an expert in the scriptures. You know what's going on. There's a group of people around you, and Jesus has just said to this guy, hey, you're not doing one of these two. Which one is it? <laughs> and the expert's going, oh, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, I don't love God. So ooh, who would say that? So he comes up with this question. He says, verse 29, but he wanted to justify it. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and here's the question. And who is my neighbor? Because by asking who is my neighbor, he's showing everybody. Me and God, we're tight. We're like this. No issue there. But I could use some clarity on who my neighbor is. See, he's trying to get technical with this. He's asking the question, yeah, 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 I love your neighbor. What does that mean? What does that actually look like? Does loving my neighbor mean I only love the people that live three houses down from me? And the guy that lives at house number four, I'm off the hook. I don't have to love them. Or is it house number four, house number five, number six? What if you live on a cul-de-sac? Does that change the game at all? Is there a different way? And how, how do we clarify that? See, he's trying to find specifics in the technicalities because there's loopholes. 
And that means if, if, I don't have to, if I only have to love four houses down, then I'm off the hook to take care of the needs of, of the guy that's on the fifth house, the sixth house, so on and so on. There's also this. Jewish people at this time in the first century did not consider anyone of a different uh, religion, race, ethnicity, I- anything outside of their tribe. They didn't consider them to be neighbors. So you could live right next door to a Gentile, and you wouldn't have to love them because they're not your neighbor. You wouldn't have to put up with them at all. That makes it a little easier. So he's asking a clarifying question. And Jesus isn't going to play the game. He's not falling for it. He's not going to fall into the trap. And instead, he does what he often does. is He starts by telling a story. And you know this. This is the story of the good Samaritan. It says this in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man, anyone, just a man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, immediately, as Jesus starts talking about this, people's minds are going to they're going to oh, they're going to get a picture. See, they know this road. It goes by many nicknames, but one of the nicknames is called the bloody pass. And it's this idea there's this road. It's 17 miles long and it weaves and it stretches and it goes up and it goes down and there's giant boulders along the way and people would hide groups of people would hide behind these massive rocks and they would wait for someone of wealth someone of status someone who had possessions they would wait and as that person came along they would jump out and they would rob them of all of their possessions more often than not leaving them dead or half dead so as jesus starts into the story immediately the people that are around him they know what's happening they say oh yeah yeah, yeah i know that place I heard just the other day that so-and-so got beat up there. They got all of their stuff robbed. It's all gone. So they're entering into this mindset right here. So imagine for a moment, you're in a really, really sketchy part of town. The worst part of town that you can think of. The absolute worst part of town you can think of. Uh, and, and let's just say it's dark, right? Weird shadows everywhere. Super scary. And you have $1,000 cash in your hand. And you need to get from point A to point B. And imagine point B is 17 miles away. And you need to get there in one day this is the scene that jesus is setting for everybody this is the story so enter into that there's some tension there people are like i know it goes down on this road let's see what happens so verse 31 a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man he passed by on the other side so too a levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side now they've got good good reasons for this they're not totally bad guys there's some decent reasons for this or good excuses for it but but let me give you this number one in your notes remember a good excuse can keep you from doing the right thing a good excuse can keep you from doing the right thing it'd be like me saying um you know uh to my wife darcy like i love you and i i didn't really See, I was going to do something special for our anniversary, but uh, I, I just, I got busy. There was traffic, so I, I couldn't get there, and I went to go make an appointment for us to have, like, this really beautiful dinner and all this stuff, but COVID-19 hit, so we couldn't do that, so I just didn't do anything. That's kind of a good excuse. We can't go out to dinner, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I did nothing for my wife on our anniversary. It's kind of the same idea here. And for these guys, for the priest and the Levite, um, a modern-day example of what the priest would be is, uh, like, your paid, your paid pastoral staff. Uh, Kurt's not here, so let's just use him. I've got the microphone right now, and he doesn't. So let's just say Kurt is walking down the road, right, and someone's car breaks down. 
And Kurt is walking down the road and he sees these people in help and he doesn't help them. He passes by on the other side. <gasps> Rude. But then you find out, oh man, he had a counseling appointment with someone who just lost their husband. All of a sudden you're sitting here going, well, that that's a pretty good excuse. But at the end of the day, he didn't stop and help the person with the car. This is kind of along the same lines, right? And a Levite, um, a, a good example of a Levite, a modern day Levite would be in our church setting, um, someone who runs a small group, right? You're all hopping on Zoom right now. It's the person hosting the group. It's maybe it's someone that serves in our worship team. They kind of, you know, they grew up in church. They know the scriptures. They know right from wrong, good from bad. They, they know these things. They have an understanding of it and they know what you're supposed to do in certain situations. And they're on their way and a car breaks down and they go to help the person and they go, ah, I can't actually do this. I've got to go and get to worship practice or whatever it is. It's a good reason, but at the end of the day, it still keeps them from doing the right thing, the good thing, helping the guy in need. Now, for the priest and for the Levi in their day, in the first century, you have to understand something. Um, if they come in contact with someone who is half dead, who is beaten, who is bloody, or even someone who is dead, they will be what's called unclean. Pharisees even taught that if your shadow passes the body of a dead person or someone who is bleeding, then you yourself will become unclean. And these are people that work in, in the church. They can't do their job if they're unclean because they have to go through a seven-day ritual to become clean. You see, they have good excuses for not helping the person, but they've missed the point, haven't they? They've missed it. Because they're on their way. They're doing their own thing. And so, friends, we have to remember a good excuse can keep us from doing the right thing. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. But a, say it with me, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And in that moment, as Jesus is telling the story, they're thinking, we got the priest, we got the Levite, you're probably going to get uh, an expert in the law, maybe a Pharisee, like another Jewish person is going to come and be the hero. And Jesus twists the story a little bit. They're not expecting this one at all. And he says, a Samaritan. And the Jews viewed the Samaritans, well, let's just say this. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They could not stand one another. The Samaritans were evil. They were outcasts. They were, they were, they did not love God. If there was something wrong with, if there was anything that was wrong with somebody, the Samaritans were those people. Like everything was wrong with them. They're the enemies. They're the, the villain of the story. They're the bad guys. And Jesus is about to make the bad guy the hero of the story. He's going to flip it like he so often does. And it's as if he's saying, hey, the bad guy is more loving, more righteous than the righteous people. The bad guy is more Christ-like than the Christian people. And it's unsettling to the people that are hearing this story. And Jesus continues. He's talking about the Samaritan. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And number two in your notes, love requires something of you. It does. It requires something of all of us. You look at the Samaritan, right? It, his time. <laughs> it takes time to bandage a body. His possessions, he poured wine and oil 
to try and heal the man's wounds. His money, he took him to an inn and said, this is what I have, but I'll come back and I will give you more if you need more. It cost us something. And isn't that true for you and I with the people that we love, the people we have relationships with? Love requires, requires sacrifice. It requires things of us. It requires money because could you imagine if I never took my wife out on a date, if you never took your wife out on a date ever, you never spent money on your spouse? (laughs) I mean, come on. It requires something of us. So let me give you three very quick uh, things that it requires of us. Number one, you can jot this down. Um, It's going to impact your schedule. Have you ever had days where you've booked everything? Your nine to five day, it is just book solid. Every hour there's an assignment on it. I, I tend to have these, these days. And it is on the days where I wake up early. I, you know, I pray extra hard. I get that devotion in in the morning. I'm like listening to worship music on my way to work. I'm like, I got this. I got this. Here we go. It's going to be a good day. Super productive. And then I met with interruption after interruption after interruption. Meetings run long. I got to bounce other meetings and move things around. And it's as if I feel like God is whispering in my, in my ear. He's going, Steve, the interruptions are the ministry. Your schedule is going to be, are you think you're in control of your time and your date? Steve, when you love people, it's going to impact your time and your schedule. So we've got to learn to be flexible, don't we? Some things just take time. The second one is this. It's going to cost you money. And this could be as simple as you sitting down with somebody over a cup of coffee, right? Maybe it's a lunch and you, you pick up lunch, you pick up the cup of coffee, whatever it is. But you're sitting down and you're hearing someone's story and you're trying to give them some wisdom and discernment and you're opening up the scriptures and you're like, well, this is, you know, Jesus is saying this. And if I were in your situation, yeah, I'd, I'd probably end up doing this. Sometimes it's a little more than a cup of coffee, though. It could be uh, helping someone with their utilities. You're paying rent. You're trying, you're trying to help them. Uh, maybe it's a home improvement project, and they're a little short, and you just, I don't know, you want to help them in some sort of way. It's going to cost you a little bit of money to go and help. And the third one is this. It's probably going to require friends. I, I think so. Because as you go about this and you start serving people and helping them, you're going to realize that it's probably going to take more than just one conversation, isn't it? Sometimes the problems are a little bit more complex than that. And so you need one of your friends to help meet the need of this other person. And maybe, maybe, maybe the two of you together can tackle the issue and help. Maybe there's a third. Maybe there's more. But rarely in life, rarely do big significant problems um, get solved with just one person's input. We usually need more people around us to go help take care of people, solve those needs, and address those issues. And so, yeah, when we love people, it's going to require something of us. It might not be all three of those. It might be two. And then again, it might be all three of them. But there is something in us that when we go and help people, we must give them something. We must sacrifice to show our love. We must sacrifice to go and serve them. So let's wrap it up. A couple more verses. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, and listen, he he can't even say the word Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And again, what he's hinting at here, Jesus is saying, you're not loving the way the Samaritan is loving. See, what you're doing is you're putting it on on a Christian checklist, a spiritual checklist. Well, I woke up in the morning, I read my Bible, check, I did my prayers, check. Did my good deed for the day, check. That's my Christian duty. I did it. And Jesus is going, look, you can have all the scriptures memorized, but you don't love nearly as well as the Samaritan does. 
Let that sink in for a moment. These are the people that you hate, that you despise. You can't stand these people. And Jesus is saying, that guy gets it. He gets it. He's loving better. And so number three, don't do what the Samaritan did. Become who the Samaritan is. Can't be a checklist. It's got to be a mindset. It's got to be a shift. We can't think of like, man, I've got to wake up in the morning and get motivated to go and serve somebody. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. We have to become the people that as we go throughout life, we meet the needs of people. It's just something we do. We don't think about waking up in the morning and breathing. We just do this, don't we? And this is the point that Jesus is making. He says, you have to transform into somebody you are not. Because you may know all the scriptures, you may go to church all the time, you may check all your boxes, but your love does not compare to that of the Samaritan. You have to become the type of person that just finds the needs. You stumble upon them as you're going throughout your day. You find the needs that the people have and you meet them, you serve them. You love them enough to be inconvenienced through your day because it's just who you are. And if you're like me, I've got to be honest because this is church. We can't be lying here. There's a part of me that struggles with this because I still have some selfishness going on inside. There's something in, inside of me, and it sounds ugly, but I'll just admit it. There's something inside of me that goes, what's the minimum requirement for me to go and love you? What, how much do I actually have to give to go and help in this situation? Because I don't want to give all my money. I just want to give a little bit of my money. I don't want to give all of my time because I've got stuff I, I have to do. Have to do things I want to do. How, what is what is the bare minimum that I can do that still qualifies? Because I've got some selfishness in me. There's a part of me that goes, when I have more money, I'll be able to give money and be generous. Like, no, that's not the case because you never have more money. You never have enough of it. There's a part of me that goes, man, if if my boss would just acknowledge more of what I contribute, then I'll be able to go and contribute more. What? No, that doesn't make sense. You need the affirmation? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. Well, if my wife, if she would just be more like this, then I would be able to go and love and serve her more. No, 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 no. That's just the selfishness inside of us. It's ugly. It doesn't belong there. And it keeps us from loving our neighbors. It keeps us. From taking care of the people that need it most. And friends, church family, it's not hard for you and I to find people that are in need. We're in the middle of COVID-19. Open your eyes, look around. Needs are everywhere. People are hurting. There's people that can't make it to the grocery store. We can buy groceries for them. We can get them delivered. There are meals that need to be made. There are bills that need to be paid. There are things for you and I to go and do to love our neighbors. But we will never be able to consistently do it if all we do is view this as a checklist. I read my Bible. I prayed. I did my good deed for the day. No, 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 no. We are not loving like the Samaritan loves. We're loving selfishly. And we need help in this area. And so here's how we're going to wrap up because the need is so great that we as the church need to respond greatly. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to invite the band up. They're going to play some music underneath us. And, and, and don't, don't jump to the next thing here. Sit in this moment because you and I, if we're honest, we're, we're incapable of loving the way the Samaritan loved. We need help. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what I want to do is I want to create a moment here, just a couple minutes in a space and time for you and God to ask Lord, to ask your Lord the questions. Would you search me and would you show me the selfishness that I have buried deep in my soul? 
Would you, would you, God, would you uproot that so I can get rid of that so I can love better? So I can put the needs of other people in front of my own. So that I don't have to live this life and get everything that I desire. But I can live this life and be about other people. It's, it's what the Good Samaritan did. It's what Jesus did. And so, Lord, that's our prayer. Father, in this moment, would you search our hearts? Reveal to us the sickness that we have inside, the selfishness there. So, Father, as you uproot that, we, we confess it, we give it to you. And Lord, I pray that as a church community, Lord, that we would rally together and we would meet the needs of our community because there are so many. And Father, we'll only be able to do this with your help. We might be able to do it for a couple days, maybe even a week, Father, but a lifetime of consistently loving the way the Samaritan did, Father. We need your help. Show us where we are lacking, Lord. And God, in our small groups this week, would we encourage one another? Would we not shame? Would we not condemn? But would we encourage one another and challenge each other in our selfishness, Lord, that we would get rid of that so we could love our friends, our kids, our spouses, and our neighbors on the, on the street, Father. May we love them well. Search us, Father. We want to know where we can improve. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.